Let's go. Binge Town, how are we feeling today? It's your boy Dave back with fellow Binge Town Pirate crew members Alki, Brian, and Paul. We are, of course, continuing our coverage of Netflix's One Piece live action, specifically covering episodes five and six. Eat at the Barat. I already fucked it up. Baratier and the chef and the chore boy. Before we get into it, some classic Binge Town housekeeping. The best way to support us is just by subscribing on whatever podcast app you're listening to. We also just recently fired up our Discord, which you can find a link to in the description of this podcast episode. We're constantly interacting with the channels on there and trying to build a, a big community on there. So you definitely want to catch on to the train early on. Lastly, if you're listening to us on our One Piece specific feed, be sure to check out our main channel, Bingetown TV. We have over 400 episodes of content covering countless numbers of shows. We're fairly confident there's going to be something for you. Now back to the One Piece live action. These episodes focus on the Baratier. Again, we've us as a group have been calling it the Barati. Just anything that wasn't this name. So excuse us if it takes us a little bit to get accustomed to this. But we focus on the Baratier and our newest official member of the crew, Sanji. And to be honest, for me, I think these are my two favorite episodes of the season so far. I'm not going to say much more than that because I'll let you guys kind of open discussion, your brief thoughts on the both episodes. But those are my two cents. What were your guys's on it? I'll jump in because I'm uh, I'm new around here. I obviously am like these guys. I've been a huge One Piece fan since you know I was 11 years old, so 2005, 2006, whatever that was uh, when we were reading fifth grade. So it's been awesome to see this journey come to actual live action. It was great to see. It was always huge, but it was great to see it grow and grow and grow, and to actually see it become live action incredible we talked about this when you we were kids like could you imagine if they actually would do this and they actually did so it's incredible to see it in our lifetime very i just obviously big one piece fan that being said i don't know if i'm enjoying the show as much as you guys i'm still really loving it i guess i'm just not it's not bringing out the same emotions that i get from reading reading it which you know you can't you can't possibly expect that, but there's still been incredible moments. The actors and casting has been great. They really brought them to life and, you know, as much as they possibly can. There's a, a lot to really, really enjoy. So these two episodes specifically, uh, five and six, like you're saying, Dave, I think they're my favorite as well. You know, The more the crew that's together, the better, in my opinion. So uh, that's probably a big part to it, plus a lot of big names coming in and, and just plot movement in general. So yeah, these are, these are two great episodes. Yeah. For me, I just think the Baradier looked fantastic, like better than I ever could have hoped that it would look in the live action. And I really love Sanji the way that they're portraying him. I like the actor. He's just going for it and he's really nailing the part for me. Uh, these two episodes were kind of the first time through the first six episodes that I really noticed them diverging from the actual plot from the manga. And I guess I'll just say that I could notice it like I could tell that they were diverting. It wasn't necessarily bad. And everything that they changed, I think, makes sense. You know, you got to cut some stuff out and then you got to change some stuff to accommodate and make sure that the overarching story still works. So it didn't really detract that much. I 
definitely don't share your opinion that these are my favorite two episodes out of the first six, but another strong showing. Um, I'm still really enjoying this show. Brian, uh, I agree. Uh, you took a lot of the words out of my mouth. I, um, I, it was definitely noticeable, the changes. I don't think I hate them. You know what I mean? It's just, you gotta, you gotta divert a little bit for a show like this. There's eight episodes. They can't go, you know, word for word from the, every manga panel and portray it through the screen. Paul, on your comment that you're not enjoying it as much as everybody else. Um, I will say like I'm enjoying it. I'm trying to be objective as I can as possible. I'm going to look at the show under the microscope because of how much I love One Piece. With that being said, I think that they're doing a pretty solid job of making this story come alive. And um, I also just have a question for you. What do you how do you stack it against Alice in Borderland? I mean, they're so completely different. It's hard to compare them, but I would say I enjoy Alice in Borderlands, like mystery, it like just translates better into live action. Um, but that being okay. said, I think you know the uh, One Piece episodes are more entertaining overall. But uh, Alice in Borderland had its moments. I'm but yeah, I would I'm still you, loving Paul. it. I I wanted to say I am I am enjoying the show. I would agree with you, Paul. I still, I mean, as much as I have been loving this show so far, I would still think for me personally, Alice in Borderland is a, a smidge above. I just I really think Alice in Borderland is like really unique. And that was, I think, more easy to translate into live action, like you were saying, Paul, than One Piece is. But like you were saying, B. Toms, I personally found Sanji's performance to be absolutely incredible. He, I think, has quickly skyrocketed up the straw hat rankings for me. If not, he might be up there at number one. But like you said, too, my notes on the Baradier, too, were. I think this restaurant looks incredible. Like I actually physically, when they introduced the scenes, I physically wanted to just go in and just have a plate to eat myself. You know, I wish this place was real and that we could all visit it, but you can only hope so much. If there's no other comments, pause. Nope. All right, cool. So we're just going to get into it. Um, how we're going to lay these episodes out is what we're going to cover first is, of course, like we get a, one quick scene of young Luffy's backstory. We'll cover that at the very beginning. We're going to cover um, the intro to episode five, which is like the Marine versus Straw Hat stuff. But then they separate from that point. We will cover the Marines, both episodes content worth, and then just hop right into the present um, with Luffy and the Straw Hat crew and then move from there. And then covering Sanji's backstory when we introduce episode seven. All righty. With that out of the way, we are getting into episode five. And like I had just said, we open episode five with a young Luffy building a pirate ship. And all this really shows us here is that Garp is totally against the idea of Luffy becoming a pirate. He destroys this ship that Luffy's made to set out to sea with. Um, and we can also tell that Garp um, wants Luffy to become a Marine and wants to start training him. I don't know how you guys... This was a backstory that wasn't really quite introduced to us in the manga for a little bit out here. So like a little bit of ways away from where we're at currently in the story. So seeing it in this moment definitely felt a little weird at first. But personally, I think... It was good because of how quickly they're moving the Garp and Luffy relationship. I think it was much needed. So any thoughts on this backstory for you guys? If you're going to be highlighting Garp and Kobe more in the live action than you did in the manga, you have to also give this backstory of Luffy and Garp. So, yeah, and it's pretty surface level. Garp is anti-pirate, always wanted Luffy to be a Marine, and Luffy is monkey D. Luffy, always going to be a pirate. And like you guys were alluding to at the beginning of the episode, this specifically is the content we content that we veer a lot 
off the source material from and again not necessarily a bad thing it's just it, it keeps it fresh for the manga and anime viewers um so this was all kind of new to us as well so um we open after we get that opening shot of young luffy we get the present where luffy and the crew are being chased by the marines essentially um because we left off last episode finding out the big reveal that garp is luffy's grandfather and this is the classic scene that i was looking for in last episode that i called out the show for not doing but they intro it uh, intro it to us here with garp actually launching the cannonballs himself and that was great to see because again it adds to the world building of the story of one piece because we can see that some of these characters aren't just humans they're you know physically capable of yeeting cannonballs at extremely high speeds and things like this so just an, i just love this scene so much and the reactions from the crew is always great yeah faster and more accurate than a cannon yeah. so just yeah. showing his strength off a little bit because we've seen him a lot uh, i haven't caught all the way up to listening to your guys's reviews so i don't know well, exactly we haven't know. put out all of it anyway yeah so. i know yeah but um well i would like to hear your guys opinions on this garp storyline in general not exactly you know what do you think about it diverging from the material i'm thinking about like what the content that we're getting like are you enjoying it with Garp? i'll uh, i'll go first i have to be honest it is my biggest negative about the show I don't want it yeah. to take away. I don't want it to take away from the reviews that we're going to get into regarding episodes five and six because they were strong episodes. But man, it's too much garp. I think I just I've been saying this while we've been watching, you know, together at, at our house. I don't know. I think it's oversaturated. Like, I think the greatness of without spoiling anything like the reveals later on with their relationship, Kobe and Garp's relationship and how it's blossomed behind the scenes. It has such a stronger impact. The bottom line is I think that it's taking away from the Marvel of their relationship and how it blossoms over time. I would only disagree in the fact that we knew in the manga that at some point Garp had kind of taken Kobe under his wing and then like you said, it was kind of cool that we were just like, oh, that kind of makes sense given Kobe's development. I kind of like that the live action is showing us that, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense that that development is happening while those two are pursuing Luffy. Yes. Oh, thank you for it, making that point. It also doesn't really make sense from like the grand scheme. Why would the resource of a vice admiral be spent on Luffy when Luffy is such like a startup right now? So yeah. for that reason, it just really doesn't make sense um but i do like that we're kind of seeing this garp kobe relationship i would just prefer cutaways of them you know pursuing other pirates and kobe's just kind of a deckhand on his ship but yeah that's actually a very good summary brian i i agree with everything you just said thank you and i i will also agree to and i'll add a little bit too as well to this conversation that i'm pretty sure i saw a tweet i can't I don't have a source, I guess that's valid, but I Kyle. saw a tweet. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was Kyle that sent in a, a message into our our group chat or one piece group chat saying that basically Oda care if uh, I read it. Yeah, you can read it. Go ahead. Apparently, Oda wasn't too keen on adding the Gart plot to the L.A. live action at first and took quite a bit of persuading, which I think good intuition since it seems to be the primary criticism of the se- of the series, which it definitely would be i personally Mm -hmm. have come to enjoy it but and i think luke had mentioned this on last podcast recording too but 
he he basically is saying that introducing this story could affect things later on this early on like getting this much screen time it could affect things later on um but as of right now and it's new bio phase like i feel like it's it's good all right yeah so the reason i ask you is because i feel like they did it for kind of what you're saying about time constraints and stuff like that needing to fill time but also they wanted to split up and make another storyline because i feel like they didn't want to just follow luffy all the way through so they're like all right let's cut up each episode with garb except i totally agree with everything that all you guys are saying i'm like one big confusing emotion ball about (laughs) it because like i i don't like it in a lot of aspects because of what you're saying about it can ruin characters uh i don't like it because it doesn't make sense what brian was saying about the vice admiral coming but there are do there are things that i think they couldn't do in the live action that this actually kind of helps with for example when they gave us that flashback of luffy being a kid on the beach like in the manga Garp goes over there and slaps the shit out of him. And like he hits him in the head and says, like, don't do that again. And it's just like harsh love, like military style. And you can't do that in live action. They would be like, dude, fuck this Garp character. Like if he actually Child abuse. Yeah, like, I don't even think they would show it. So they can't do that. But in the beginning of this episode, Garp is hurling cannonballs at Luffy. So it's showing that they do have this, like, I I, I could, like, legitimately hurt you relationship, mm-hmm. but there's still, like, love there. You're still my grandson. Um, so it is it is cool in this opening scene that they do say, hey, hey, we're going pretty much, like, balls to the wall, even though I'm related. I'm, I'm coming at you. So that was cool from that aspect. Um, if anything... Uh, I get bored when whenever that like the garb comes on the screen. I'm like, oh, go back to the other line. But I will say, Hellmempo is the highlight for me. I fucking <laughs> love him. Yeah, that's what we've all we've all been saying that. He's yeah. great. His actor is so entertaining. I love him. Two lasting points. I think Garp gives us a nice window and kind of a face to the the faction of the Marines, which I think a new audience would need. And two. The CGI of Luffy sending that thing back yep. looked yeah. pretty decent. It I did. didn't know if they were going to do it. I didn't know if they were going to do it. If it was too hard to do Gum Gum Balloon. I really hope they did. And that it was it was sweet. I loved it. Because I don't think they showed Gum Gum Balloon in any of the trailers that they had released. So that was like a surprise to me as well. Because we saw the pistol on screen. I think we saw maybe a couple other moves like the whip. Um, but seeing the balloon, like you said, Paul, was a total treat for me because I just was not expecting it at all, especially with knowing like sometimes these things can be a little difficult to put on screen, but it looked great on my from my end. To twist this in a positive way, um, despite the fact that he's pursuing Louis Luffy this whole time, Louis. I guess <laughs> they're not really straying too far off the source material. They're just uh making it parallel to like the main story. Yeah. You know, so giving it's that like to us earlier. Yeah, it's giving it to us earlier. So whatever. I mean, I, I like I said, I don't hate the show. It's not like making me not like the show. It's just interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, change, I suppose. I uh, assume last episode you guys talked about Zoro and his, uh, you know, uh, directional 
disability, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. you would call that. Oh, challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, directional disability is good to me. <laughs> <laughs> when um they were running away from Garp here, Nami's yelling at him, like, you know, turn it to port. And he turns around, he's like, which way's port? Like yeah, he's just, he has he no idea. I love it. It's great. He's doing a great job with some of the one liners. Some don't hit, but a lot really do hit and are great. He had a really, really good scene later, which we'll get to. Um, yeah, Zoro has been so funny, and I love yeah. that they're slowly introducing the directional disability that he's that he has. But our crew escapes into a thick fog that separates these two factions. So we'll get into the straw hat stuff later on here. But we're now we're just going to cover most of the marine stuff. So going into it, um, so we have basically Garp in his quarters here. He's try he's denying help from other marines. Kobe says, "Oh, there's a marine ba- branch not too far off the coast here. Let's ask them for help." But Garp says no like we want to do this our shelf and this kind of surprises kobe a little bit because he has these like ideals of garp being the perfect marine and him kind of denying the help here is a little bit i guess not to what his standards are and then as garp walks off here back to his quarters he makes a call to a certain character named mihawk requesting backup and while this doesn't again happen in the manga, like Garp, I don't think would ever call for backup here, but I think it all comes full circle a little bit later on. We'll get into, but he makes his call to Mihawk and we get the introduction to Mihawk. And I was, I was rock hard for these fucking scenes, man. I fucking loved Mihawk, man. He was incredible. I want to hear your guys' thoughts personally on uh, what you thought of him. And we get the interaction of him with his bounty. I don't think it was revealed. Obviously he's you're, you'll kind of, it said is with his bounty redacted, redacted, yes, canceled, yes. or whatever. We'll get into that in a second, but yeah, go mm-hmm. ahead and talk about the uh, Mihawk introduction here. Thought he looked great, and I think the way he was slanging that sword looked good enough for me. The sword yeah. looked great. Um, mm-hmm. That's all I want to say, Paul Halky. I uh, he he looked pretty badass slaying Don Craig's crew, yep. and um, you know they. Dropped little Don Craig in there, which I actually didn't expect at all. So overall, I'm kind of satisfied that that was sprinkled in because he was actually pursuing that guy's crew. And that's how he mm-hmm. kind of got to the Barati in the first place and in, in the manga and stuff. So I thought his introduction was pretty good and, and it packed a punch. Yeah, this Why is again... You- just want to emphasize that Don Craig in the manga was actually the main villain of the Barati, not Arlong. But again, we'll get into that in a second here, but Go ahead, Paul. Sorry, I cut you off. Just Don Krieg asking Mihawk, why are you doing this? Because you woke me up from my nap. That's yeah, why. Of course. So, it's great to see that. Um, we didn't see his ship, which is interesting, but we did see his mm. ship at the end of the um, Gold Roger execution scene when all the ships disperse. You see his Oh, is little- it? Yeah, it's great. Ah, that's cool. It, oh, see, one, that's something that none of us saw. Yeah. It's just one little solo with the it's it's beautiful. So um we didn't see it these episodes, but we did see it then, so it was great. Um the whole Don Creek thing, really mixed emotions about I understand they can't do everything, but I feel like the Don Creek fight was the first time you really see Luffy's resiliency. Mm-hmm. So there was so much there was like one or two moments where like I was really, really looking forward to seeing that live action because that would just kind of see Luffy's actor if he can really pull off like these crazy turning moves. turning point moments and mm-hmm. how you view a character, I guess is what I would say. Unfortunately we didn't get it, but I'm not gonna I'm gonna hold my judgment until I see the whole season, see what they do. 
Um, hopefully they can really recreate those moments maybe and really make them shine. Um, but yeah, I just Mihawk I thought was almost as good as you can get live action. And again, just I, I'm pretty sure we can in- infer from the phone call that Don Krieg's dead too, which again just goes into what we've constantly be talking about on the podcast is just like yeah. the emphasis of death, more death in the, the show rather than in the manga. I loved his eyes. Mihawks. Uh, the eyes were great. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, and then how can we not talk about when he when he slices the ship in half? Like that looks phenomenal oh too. That God. was so hot, man. That was so hot. Um, but Kobe overhears this call and again has another surprised look on his face. Um, he's basically um we're just led to believe that he's kind of just like, why is Garp working with pirates? And so he, he can get these answer these questions answered in the next scene with him and Helmeppo. They're just cleaning the poop deck and they're talking about how nice uh kobe's kind of having these questions about garp and how he's questioning his faith in the marines and we get some more world building here so um he brings up the fact that mihawk was on the other line um hell explains to garp that he is the world's greatest swordsman number one and number two is that he is also a seven warlord of the sea Seven warlords. The seven warlords are seven incredibly powerful pirates that are allies to Marines. The Marines give the pirates, these pirates, free reign to do whatever they want, but it also means they have to do jobs for the Marines that the Marines don't necessarily want getting tied back to them. And um, essentially, capturing them, these warlords back in the day before they were warlords would have sparked an all-out war. So rather than causing an all-out war, they invited the pirates to work together with them. B-Toms, you have a question or something? Potentially cuttable, but were they not using the term world government, not Marines, while Hamapo was explaining this? We're not going to cut it because that is absolutely right. You are right. They do drop world government and not the Marines here. And that's actually kind of important later on because I think Garp at some point mentions they... And we, as the audience, don't really know who he's referring to they as, but it is the world government. So there is an entity above the Marines that we are. Well, now there's another control. entity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just another. There entity. is we'll a distinction between the world government and the Marines. But this was again. I'm just going to keep emphasizing that this was a little bit different than in the manga. Um, we don't really get this information drop. Maybe like at least like all of this knowledge this early on. I think we are known that mihawk is a warlord at least the the strongest pirate but i thought they slipped this in at a good time it was now better than ever for them to introduce this was a great way for them to introduce mihawk the character as well as give the world background i don't know what your guys' thoughts were on it it made sense to describe the warlords when mihawk made his appearance i forget how long they waited or oda waited to tell us the warlord backstory I feel yeah. like it couldn't have been that much later. I can't remember. I feel like I'm remembering like some like shadowy figures. Mihawk got introduced, I feel like. Um, it might have been. Oh, but it was right, a little yeah. bit... Maybe I'm just thinking of how it was specifically introduced because obviously probably in the manga it was probably text bubbles rather than just Helmeppo explaining it to Kobe, obviously. but I don't exactly know how I feel about these like transponder snail earpieces just because I feel like that could literally be like plot breaking for like some issues coming up i guess we could talk about it later but um i don't know it's just I feel like it's they've just always been a thing man mihawk's in the middle of a fight and he just like oh yeah what's up hold on and yeah. just grabs this like they have them um, they're not the same they like, do have like ear pieces and like mobile ones but i don't know it's not show breaking but it, whatever 
sorry. I don't mean to keep being a party pooper. Because <laughs> no, I think this all- is a fresh perspective that the audience needs. Like we need this kind of positive and negative. I think that would separate us. Yeah, I have to say, like, I'm surprised the ratings are so high. I mean, they're <laughs> they're really good, but like to for it to be like 96 on Rotten Tomatoes is just that's like flawless. It's like a, you, it's you a know bunch what I mean. Highest One Piece fan. I think it's, it's like there's got to be a skew. You know, it's. I think it's good, but ninety six is very is very surprising to me. That's all. Um, but anyway, Kobe is pissed that the Marines are allowing pirates to do stuff like this because, in his mind, all pirates need to face the consequences of their action. They shouldn't be allowed to just do whatever they want. Um, and he takes these issues up to Garp's um quarters again. He has these complaints of Marines working with pirates, and Garp kind of lays out his ideals about the whole situation so he tells kobe here that he could have been a fleet admiral a long time ago but he denied it and i guess we shouldn't really talk too much about fleet admirals and the rankings of how the world uh, the marines work but fleet admiral is obviously one of the higher positions that you can have in the marines and garp was able to turn down a position that highly because he thought he would lose his freedom and he would have to do things and this is what he says their way and but he does kind of emphasize the fact that marines are all that stand between order and anarchy at the end of the day even if they allow these seven pirates to get away with anything they still have the duty to fulfill as the marines and i really like the quote here that he says to kobe as kobe walks off with all these questions in his head and trying to you know figure out himself is that uniform that uniform is starting to fit you after all. So I thought that was really tough of Garp saying that to Kobe. Just a um, nice little pat on the back there for Kobe. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. We're getting the character growth here, I think, for Kobe. We really are. Alki's pissed. <laughs> no, I have, I, I have <laughs> no kidding. objections to that. All righty. So we're going to go. Well, now I'm. Now I, I feel guilty. That. I'm not knocking the show. Like I've been actually raving about the show. I just there are some like realities though I think are important to to speak about. You know, we're gonna be jumping the gun a little bit here, um, but we're just gonna again try and just knock out all this Marine stuff so we don't have to come back to it. But here, the next scene we get of the Marines is Mihawk meeting with Garp, explaining the the reasons behind his actions of the Barat TA. Again, I don't want to spoil it because we're gonna get into it. Um, but at the end of the day, we just need to know that Mihawk finds Luffy and his crew very interesting, and he doesn't take orders from Garp or the Marines at all, even though he is a warlord. He's just kind of shown to be this lone ranger kind of guy. Um, I think this scene specifically kind of makes me feel better about Garp originally calling him for help. Again, I, I never foresaw Garp you know, contacting a pirate specifically for assistance. But I guess here it's cool on Mihawk's end and very to his character that he just still doesn't listen to what Garp has to say or anyone for yeah. that for that fact. Yeah, you can do whatever you want because I'm a warlord. Well, even if I wasn't a warlord, I would do whatever the hell I want anyway, which is great because Mihawk does whatever the hell he wants. And Kobe admits also to Garp that he overheard that Luffy is Garp's grandson. That's what part of the conversation Mihawk and Garp were having here and that shocks Kobe obviously it shocks a lot of people um but Kobe does tell Garp like I know I've spent some time around Goofy 
Goofy. <laughs> <laughs> Luffy. And he's the kind of person who's going to stick true to his word. Like he's always wanted to be a pirate. That's who he is because Garp was kind of beating himself up for not allowing Luffy to become a Marine. But Kobe just says, hey, this is exactly who he is. And it's just great seeing that Kobe can even appreciate that this early on for him. And then Garp yeah. goes to pump up the troops to capture the Kastrides. Going to add on to that, Dave, about Kobe saying that, because when you look at it, it's like, all right, Kobe and Luffy spent what, like two days together, like three days together. So mm -hmm. how well can he actually know him? But like, that's Luffy's whole thing. Like, yeah, he can make you believe in him in like, you know, the first time you meet, he's, he's been able to gather. So mm -hmm. um, that's just Luffy's charm. Absolutely. I think a good real world comparison of what a warlord is, is like a privateer. Yeah. It's a good way to think about it for, for anyone who needs clarification on that. But yeah, do ahead, you know times. many privateers? <laughs> yeah, I was going to uh, say, that doesn't really name, help me. Name honestly. three privateers. But uh, It's like, you guys don't know about that? Nah, I'm <laughs> you guys aren't like privy to like real world Not pirate all, pirating? <laughs> all I'm going to say is if you're a long-standing fan, you know who the fuck Dracula Mihawk is. And if you're a newcomer, you should already be able to tell that he is the biggest badass that this show has shown you yet. And if he thinks that monkey D Luffy is quote, interesting, That'd you be better be taking notes at home. <laughs> that boy is interesting. A hundred percent. And what does he say? I'm going to do whatever I want. And what I want is to see what that kid can do when he hits yeah. the grand line. Woo! I that love was, Mihawk. Mihawk. That was a great line. Thumbs way up in the air. I don't care what Alki says about this show. <laughs> 96 is low. <laughs> Get the hell oh, out of here. Yeah, that was a man. badass moment. He is he is a bona fide boss. I mean, that's his whole thing. Like in the manga and the anime, anytime he shows up, it's a treat because he's like he's a living legend, literally. And I think they exemplified that well in the show. I really do. That's 96% worthy, bro. Okay, don't get it twisted. I think they Can't even confirm. went as far to say not only is he the world's greatest swordsman, but like he's the world's greatest swordsman we've seen like ever almost is. So that is a in living memory, which still yeah quite yeah, the yeah, compliment, yeah, yeah. which is insane because we'll find out there were some uh, there are some crazy swordsmen in the world. Um, but now we'll take it back to our Straw Hat crew and the main story of these two episodes. So as our Straw Hat crew is in the thick fog and they're trying to escape, it makes it really hard for Nami to do her job. First of all, they have no idea where they are. And Nami's kind of pressing the crew specifically about what the whole deal is about Luffy's grandfather being a Marine and none of them are really willing to listen. But she kind of looks over at Zoro and is like, this should be a job for the first mate, which love that drop right there for Zoro. He is the first mate. So this feels like a first mate thing to do is talk to Luffy about the situation. And I thought this was so fucking funny. This interaction was a ones man, just the perfect example of like the early relationship between Zoro and Luffy. No, it was, it was brilliant. And when Nami brings it up like that, like our captain or Luffy's grandfather is literally the vice admiral of the Marines. And Zoro's like, doesn't seem like a big deal. Like he just <laughs> doesn't care. Like it's so brilliant. And the whole conversation, you want to talk about it? Nope. All right. Good talk. I mean, that's brilliant. <laughs> I just love it. I was cracking up. That was, it was hilarious. I think it's pretty true to source material too. And like, while that didn't resonate with Nami, maybe I think it's proves that, 
I mean, it's really not a big deal. It doesn't change their goal in any way. And I think they just got to keep trucking forward. It keeps emphasizing, I think, themselves as character because I think Nami has questions about this because she herself is not very a trustworthy person. And so even though she has known Luffy a few days now, she might still have these question marks about him. And so seeing something like this to her is like, oh, my God, like, can we trust this guy? Like, is he working for the Marines? And Zoro's the kind of the guy that he's already admitted to seeing the good in Luffy and how he's, quote unquote, a different kind of pirate. And so I think Zoro's carefree character is like, oh, if if the guy that I respect and look up to has no issues with it being an issue, then it's not an issue. And so this really kind of, I think, emphasizes their characters a little bit as well. But just so fun is like, yeah, like Paul said, do you want to talk about it? Nope. Then we're all good. And he just walks away. It's so good. Um, and Luffy gets a little bit distracted here. He smells food and they are able to locate the Baratier. And like B. Tom said at the beginning of the podcast, I think the Baratier looked incredible. This we know was an actual set. This is not CGI at all. They actually had built this uh, set of the Baratier and wow, I think it looked incredible. Again, I just, I wish this ship existed in real life because I would 100% eat here. It, exactly what you guys are saying. I can't believe they were able to bring it to life. Uh, it was a really cool introduction to, um, you know, fishmen and we'll, we'll get into it a little bit, but the host, the host was a uh, fisherman who just was like, yeah, we can get you a table in like three weeks. And Usopp, I thought, did a great job here just being like, hey, do you know who this is? Do you like, do you know who you're talking to right now? So Usopp is growing on me. I really, really like his actor and what he's doing with the character. Um, I mean, when he gets drunk later on and dances, I'm like, fuck yeah. Like, I'll, I'll party with this guy. Uh, and, you know, the introduction to Sanji in the back as like a legit chef, too, was just brilliant. You know, it really it makes him more than just a one dimensional character. Uh, he has so many like cool little aspects to him. Um, and when, you know, he does take the order eventually and he hits on Nami, my God, brilliant. I loved it. He did such a good job. Sanji's actor is incredible. Apparently he trained to kickbox, which became like a hobby for him. He took up cooking to the point where he actually cooked for like the crew and the production crew on set. Like he really Amazing. tried really hard to capture the essence of Sanji. I think he did a great job. That like flirtatious note during that interaction was so seamless. I mean, like, and it was it was baller. Like he's got the dude's got Riz. You know what I mean? He's a Rizzler. And it was um it was like such a Sanji is great, and he in at this point of the anime watch for me, like he was my favorite character actually. Like I loved Sanji before I fell in love with with uh, Zoro. I always loved Luffy, but Sanji was just like my guy, and um, I think he's gonna be a lot of people's guy in uh, the live action. Certainly is mine. <laughs> in the source material, I mean, he is this bumbling, over the top, like stereotypical guy in an anime obsessed with women and it's it's definitely a negative personality trait which i knew they were going to cut that off for the live action and make him just this very classy gentleman which to be fair is also what he is in in the manga but you get both sides of it in the live action they are leaning heavily into he's just a classy gentleman trying to sweep like every woman or every woman in sight off their feet and 
Yeah, it's landing great. I love Sanji. The cooking scenes were awesome. The music in the Baradier was great. Um, yeah, yeah. The Baradier, it it's doing it for me. He was definitely like for me a scene stealer. He every time he was on the scene, I just I couldn't help but just notice him. He was phenomenal. Here we get a little bit of him fighting too. So after Zeph, he goes in the back trying to prep a meal. After Zeph kind of denies him this want to just uh cook he steps out and sees a couple of pirates fighting and again just i was this is something that's just so impressive to me because it is hard to do like a character that only fights with his feet feels like something very cartoony and something that would be hard to replicate in live action but with what alki was saying with the background in um what was it specifically not jujitsu he uh he took up kickboxing Kickbox. to train for the uh the role Dude, the kicks and then end up becoming a hobby of his. The kicks, the flips, they all felt seamless to me. Like it never felt like it was forced at all. Like everything just looked so flawless to me. And I thought these fight scenes right here was a, just a phenomenal introduction into Sanji's strength as well. Did they explicitly mention or hint that he's a kick only fighter in the no, anime, in the show yet? Specifically told us the reason of why he's a kick only fighter, but if you couldn't tell, I mean, yeah, they showed us only him flying yeah. around throwing kicks. Yeah, he's only using his feet, which I won't spoil the reasons on that. Um, it's probably not a big deal, but I'll let the show enjoy that. Um, but so we get back to them, uh, the straw hat crew at the table talking again, Nami trying to bring up the grandfather situation of Garp, but it gets overshadowed by Luffy giving an IOU to the restaurant, which Zeph personally takes offense to and comes out and forces luffy into becoming a dishwasher i think it's just funny like it was funny seeing luffy hand back the receipt i don't know why i just i just never imagined mm -hmm. it just felt weird to me you know just somebody him, having a receipt in yeah Long like Keys a pirate World. show yeah it yeah. just was funny yeah Zeph i looked great mm. yeah. I, again zeph and the, the whole interaction between him and sanji and how they care about each other but they treat each other like shit because of the shitty restaurant and the shitty cook and everything like that is great. I kind of wish they did the booger in the glass and the water scene for those anime manga readers. Uh, that was just classic Luffy and Zoro. But anyway, uh, I, I mean, great. I didn't think they were going to make Luffy be a, you know, dish boy, chore boy, but they did work it in and thank god because he was able to see sanji really flourish back there you know that's where he was able to eat the meal that zeph made sanji throw away and he really liked it um don't know why zeph won't let him cook on it there but you know whatever that's just zeph being stubborn i guess yeah i think that's a stubborn thing yeah i agree with you it felt a little bit forced like Clearly, Sanji has skills, and for some reason, Zeph is going against him. I think it's just because they eye food a little bit differently. Like, I think the really funny joke that they have that's the recurring joke is like too much oregano, not enough oregano. Like, I think that was really funny. And maybe it's just because their food visions are a little bit different, I guess. Well, it's also just highlighting that they're both strong willed, yes. stubborn people, and neither of them will give an inch. Yeah. I think it's also uh, finally the father son undertones. Huh. You're always going to disagree with your dad, quote unquote, a little bit about some minuscule details. So, And then Nami is 
still clearly frustrated by Luffy being so carefree about the whole Garp situation. And so she actually almost slips up here with some information, but she kind of recovers herself. And he's like, forget about this. I'm leaving. And she wanders off and finds actually a potential ride off the Baratier and away from the Straw Hats. And she is kind of now thinking about taking this opportunity to leave this crew which is true to her manga character. She definitely um, was kind of in this position here on the Baradier as well. And Nani. so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The way she leaves the Barati winds up being different. I don't even know if I, I guess at the end of this episode, she goes off with Arlong. Mm-hmm. So I, I can yeah. say that in the manga, she takes the going Mary, right? Well, at the end of episode, episode six, right? Okay, at so the, the end, end, of end of episode six, six yeah. like, but you are right, B. Times. She does take the going Mary, and like that kind of even more so forces the crew to kind of chase after her a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Sanji and Luffy having this discussion in the kitchen. Paul said that you know Luffy managed to try some of Sanji's food, and told was able to tell Sanji how good he actually thought it was. And we kind of get this intro moment to these two characters and their relationship. Sanji lays out that Luffy, to his dream, is not to own the Baratier, but it is actually to find this all blue. It's a combination of all four C's. There's new creatures, different types of spices that are all unseen to the world. And he wants to be the one to find it and, you know, cook using ingredients from the all blue. So of course, Luffy gets turned on by hearing people's dreams and is like, ah, this guy, this guy might do it for me. And we get this great interaction between the two where Luffy, you know, praises Sanji a little bit for his dream, which Sanji doesn't seem too used to. He's, he's shocked by Luffy's, um, interest in his dreams and so as sanji is talking we get a shot of a character banging on the window who ends up being gin Jin, however you want to call it shows up asking for help begging for food explaining that his entire crew had just been wiped out and this was very true to the manga goes a little bit differently afterwards but i thought it was cool seeing gin the outfit was on point um we see patty i forgot to mention him as well that's another crew member on the Baratier who kind of scolds Sanji for wanting to cook for Jin. But of Patty. course, yeah, Sanji Patty was, can't say no. Patty was great, man. I thought his actor was great casting. His line just shitting on Sanji all the time was great. I, I kind of wish we saw him throw down a little bit because, you know, Patty doesn't take no shit, mm-hmm. um, especially about his cooking. So, um, but he was really good. And uh, this scene really just shows Sanji, hey, the man's hungry. I feed him. Like that's what I do. Like nobody should starve. You're a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> Damn right he is. It was good to see uh, again, Jin, whatever, uh, because it was <laughs> evident that they cut out a couple people. Uh, two people that we are missing definitely are Johnny and Yosaku, or yeah. whatever. They were pretty prevalent in the Barati and their entertaining characters as well. But Weren't we did they- get a little bit of Jin. Sorry, weren't they the bounty hunters? Yeah, they're bounty. They like it's not a spoiler because I don't think they'll be introduced. But yeah, those two are also bounty hunters. They know Zoro, not personally, but they've like they know of Zoro. They know him as the pirate hunter. Yeah, and they look up to him, and so they're always willing to help Zoro. And they do come. They're a a small piece of like a reoccurring character. Yeah, they they help with Arlong. What about um, Gin? Is he a bounty hunter? No, he's he's the first mate of Don Krieg's crew. Yeah. And then we're missing Pearl. He was the second mate. He was the big round ball yeah, of metal. That's not even, 
Yeah, not even important. Yeah, we could name. We could go on forever naming characters because Oda creates a million. I'm just trying to flex my knowledge here, boys. That's all I'm trying to do. But a lot of flex. This is where we get Usopp dancing, which, again, like Paul said, it was just really funny to see. He's absolutely wasted. Clearly a lightweight here, and Nami and Zoro. This is where they play the drinking game, and I really like this scene also too because nami's kind of been very sheltered and zoro has been kind of the one surprisingly to to be digging into her a little bit slowly by slowly and their relationship actually seems to be blossoming a lot with this specific scene um i i just really enjoyed how they're talking about one another's backgrounds essentially and trying to guess each other and they're both dead wrong Anybody else uh thinking of when Tyrion first met Shay playing oh, that yeah. game with Bronn? True, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't even think of that until you said mm. it, but now for sure, absolutely. Hell yeah. And again, I just gotta highlight Usopp just making up stories, doing his thing. I love it. Bumping into Mihawk, just oh really? So you're the captain? Yeah, I'm captain. Well, not technically, you know, this Luffy dude is the captain. It's like, yeah, not technically, because there's no way now you're the captain, but just brilliant. I love it. And I love Zoro's reaction when Mihawk walks over because he doesn't like freak out. He doesn't really do anything. He just looks up. and He's like, you're Dracula Mihawk. Like, oh, that's cool. Tomorrow you'll be dead. <laughs> but- but it is awesome that he said, you know, I followed your career since I was a kid, which is wild that a kid was looking up to a bounty hunter and was like, yeah, go kill those guys. Or not even a bounty hunter, just a a pirate. But whatever. Hey, well, that's Swordsman. one thing. Well, we talked about this in other episodes. Like, I don't get how Shanks didn't know. Sorry. I don't know how Zoro didn't know who Shanks was if he knows Mihawk so much. I but. think it. I think it's just more so that like he definitely knows Mihawk, obviously, because he's the world's strongest swordsman. That's like his sole focus. I don't think he's he cares enough to know like who Mihawk's hanging out with. And plus, Shanks probably made a name for himself in the Grand Line. Who knows how well that information reaches this mm-hmm. far out into the East Blue? I'm just I'm just playing the devil's advocate here. But yeah, no, that was great. Point that plus, I, somebody like him, Zoro, who like practices the sword, would know who the strongest swordsman is too. Like in that regard. As a I, kid. Will, I will say that um Zoro, he didn't he recognized Kuro's face in the last few episodes, but he didn't know his name. So Zoro is totally the type of dude I feel like that would be like you'd be telling him all about a guy. He's like, No, no, I have no idea who you're talking about. And then you show him a picture of him, like, oh, I recognize him. Yeah, I know. Like so, Binky. Yeah. Binky. That, what is he calls him like bug uh, I don't know, boogie burpee. here or something? Burpee, yeah, yeah. Burpee. Yeah. <laughs> I thought uh, Usopp in this scene was really funny, and um, I love his outfit. He's actually for sure. Luf- uh, sorry, Usopp actually has been cracking me up a little bit in these two episodes. He was—I think I already prefer him this anime ver- or this live-action version to his manga character at this point in the story so far. We'll see. It's we'll good. See. The casting is good. He's and they're kind of like encapturing his. The fact that he's an absolute wimp, chicken, yeah, yeah. like but pretty le- good, and he. Yeah, what's up, Brian? Less cringy, annoying, and pathetic, and more just like in a comical way. Yeah, absolutely. The, yeah. the while it, I don't think the show needs comedic relief, he's definitely been like that lighthearted character. Dude, later on when he the table goes flying and he's underneath it hiding and then crawls away, <laughs> I was literally laughing out loud. Um, <laughs> but, but this is interesting. The fact that. Zoro literally challenges Mihawk to a duel and they set a date later. I don't know why 
Yeah, that, I feel like, like Zorja would just want to like jump on the spot and be like, let's just do this right here. But whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess it is what it is to set it up. You know, you got the whole Luffy scene of him saying, you know, like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do this. Hey, Luffy, do you remember what I told you? I want us to be the world's greatest swordsman. I promise somebody. And Luffy's like, oh, OK, you know, that's your that's your dream. That's your goal. I can't stand in your way of it. And, you know, we did get that, which was nice. You know, Luffy wants to believe in people's and their goals and that's his whole thing he's even if it costs him his life he understands that that you need to do that you need to make that risk Mm -hmm. um so nami doesn't really understand that but usopp is just great too he's like yeah let's just turn around and run but zoro and his swords just i love his sword so much i just think mihawk was just so fucking cool here and you're right it was like it did like my ears perked up a little bit and he's like, I challenge you a duel to tomorrow. And it's like, eh, why not just right now? Let's just do it right <laughs> now. But yeah, great introduction to those two. And Luffy, you're right, Paul, just like him, how he cares so much about other people's dreams and how even though he knows they're potentially risking their lives, that's what he would want. Like he would want to die doing what he wants to do, going for his dream. He's obviously been more times than not willing to put his own life on the line for his dream and it's cool seeing that be get re-embodied through other people um but here after the quick introduction between zoro and mihawk um luffy is approached by zeph in the back room zeph just comes in the back room and luffy says stop bullying sanji like you're you're not going to stop him from you know reaching his goal that's what it was yeah yeah and it's just crazy that luffy's literally going up and standing up to this guy (laughs) yeah has no idea anything either about his strength and luffy's still willing to just stand up to him but in the meantime nami does gather start beginning to gather her things um usopp is yakking from all the alcohol that he's currently had and zoro is readying himself for the fight that's going on the next day one thing I forgot to say when Zoro was like getting ready for the duel, he asked Nami, why do you even care? And Nami's like, because you're my friend, you idiot. So it was Nami is so standoffish. It was, you know, almost caught off guard when you hear that and when you hear, hear her say that. So um, just really cool that she does not show it at all, but she actually does care every once in a while. Or you're does tearing she? down those walls, baby. Or yeah. does she? Let Zoro in. And they're becoming more and more of a crew, you know? Yeah, I think Nami here understands the severity of the situation, and she had just called Zoro her friend, and I think not only does she have to get back to Arlong, but she doesn't want to watch this this guy that she's been sharing drinks with, getting very attached to, just get mowed down by the world's greatest swordsman. So that's also helping her reasons for wanting to leave the Baratier at the end of the day. Um, but we get into the next day, where we get immediately into the duel. They meet up with Mihawk right outside of the Baratier. Nami and... is there. Yeah. Crazy. Was not expecting oh, that. So not at first, though. She It's just the boys that roll up, and the fight begins, which we'll have plenty of comments and discussion on about that, but eventually Nami does show up, and I'm going to be honest. I, I was getting a little teary-eyed, just a little bit, when Nami comes up and grabs Usopp's hand because... I just the the nodes were hitting for me here. I just thought this scene was so emotional. 
And even at the very end of the battle, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I actually could cry right now. I'm going to be honest. And I never thought the live action One Piece would be able to do that. Like, I've definitely cried multiple times over the manga and anime, but I got pretty emotional here. And so we can talk all, open discussion, talk everything about this fight scene here between Zoro and uh, Mihawk, and then we'll go from there. Blade. I don't yeah. hunt rabbits with a cannon. What a line to just start <laughs> oh off God, with. Yes. I mean, it was beautiful, like the catching both of his blades with one little tip point to start off was great. And then, you know, just set the tone for, uh, yeah, you're fucked, Zoro. And, you know, he was just completely dodging, literally scolding him and like tutoring him in the middle of a fight, like literally poses no threat. So, you know, Zoro, uh, Zoro got a little shit on here. You are a frog croaking at the bottom of a well. Croak, <laughs> croak. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> somebody on Reddit had explained that specific uh, type of berating Zoro in this fight to saying you're like a frog in a well, like you have no idea what's going on outside the well and how much mm. stronger people are essentially saying you're still in the East Blue you yeah. little frog like the grand line is the outside of the well we have an ocean you're just in a little pond right now you don't mm -hmm. even fucking that's know um that was actually my biggest my comment about the fight like we haven't seen zoro in the live action struggle really at all he has taken everybody down mm -hmm. with no with at with the ease he hasn't even used all three swords in every fight that he's had the choreography was fantastic and the power difference was so obvious. And that's mm -hmm. goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Like Mihawk is actually a living legend. Like nobody ever has been where he is. Nobody comes close. And Zoro was stepping in deep waters, man. I mean, for real. And he's lucky he got out the way he did, but he almost didn't. Yeah, he was able to show enough respects where Mihawk's like, all right, I'll use the Black Blade to finish you. He says its name. I don't remember it off the top of my head. Yoru. Yoru, uh, yes. I apologize. Um, so he does that with the Black uh, black Blade and then also has the line, which is one of my favorite Zoro moments. It's it's up there is, you know, why aren't you retreating? Uh, uh, what is it? Scars on a swordsman back are a swordsman's biggest shame. Yeah, I didn't want to, you know missay it because it's literally just so good yeah um so that and he's saying just marvelous is or magnificent is, is what he said and just slices them so it was great I, I don't know why but i'm like a little upset there wasn't more blood and like actual flowing blood and they never have it and i don't know if it's because it's like technically still kind of a kid show um or if it was just like a logistical issue with the sets and having to like you can't have blood splattered everywhere because then you need a million of all the sets or whatever like that um i don't know why but i just kind of feel like that would really you know make you feel like you're in it and it's not so cartoony i don't they, know that's just they like gotta get thing. some spartacus producers on the next season of one <laughs> that's what they gotta do no Maybe. you're right I, I was kind of thinking the scar like when you see him get cut like the scar was a little bit I mean, again, uh, we're comparing it to like an anime and cartoon where it's so overblown the damage that's been done here. And yes, in the manga, I feel like it's a, a gruesome scar, like all the way across his chest. This one didn't feel as bad. I agree with you. But at the end of the day, not going to complain too much about it. I personally thought the fight was great. I 
how Mihawk wields the Black Blade, it just feels so effortless. And I just, it, it really was a treat watching him go to uh, go to town with it. It just, it looked so clean to me. Wait a second. Was it black? I was toiling with this a lot. It's just called the black. I just call it the black. I'm calling it the black blade. That's why I'm saying black, but I don't know if the blade itself was actually black. I just feel like it's, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to nitpick. I just feel like it's important detail if it was like clear or not for the show, you know? Yeah. Nonetheless, Star Wars has no blood. Yeah. And the anime didn't have blood either for a long time, but they're able to like, you know, do the silhouettes and then they have like the black outline of the blood splash and i don't know i feel like that just really shows the ferocity of the swing you know and you know it was a crazy swing and it did hit him but i don't i feel like you would it really shows the damage but nonetheless it was a great fight and this is the scene that i was talking about where zoro's actor i was like this was without a doubt his best moment so far was when he is swearing to luffy and he does hold the sword up and he does have the hand over yep. his eye. It's this a classic Zoro anime scene that keeps getting referred to in flashbacks. But his like crying slash whimpering, seeing Zoro that vulnerable, just crazy. And he, I thought he delivered great there. And that was like one of the biggest moments, too. Makes the vow he will never lose again. And ah, chills, man. And every in the live action, in the manga, in the anime, every single time it just always fucking hits. And this is just such a, a character defining moment for Zoro, just getting that taste of like B Tom's was saying, just being the strongest for so long and then really just seeing how weak he is and how far his goal is. Like if anyone in the actually watching the live action for the first time or One Piece in general for the first time thought Zoro had a chance. I'm. I hope that you were sorely dis like disappointed because there's just such a big gap between these two characters. But this moment is what gives him a chance, though. Absolutely, yeah. Because it's the first domino. And again, all just the respect that Mihawk lays here to both Luffy and Zoro is just it's amazing. So far, everybody that has encountered Luffy has been impacted. That's Absolutely. a huge takeaway yeah. from the whole like story. I mean, that's that's what that's why luffy is my background on my phone you know what i mean because like he brings the best out of you and he inspires it his adversaries i mean who can say that like there's not really any mc that can say that and i think that's why luffy's the man (laughs) he's our goat man he's our goat but that wraps us go ahead and paul I, I was going to jump us in a little bit to the next scene. I was just going to say, how about Zeph with the uh, old school medical remedies of getting that? I was like, oh, what the yeah. fuck are you getting a fish for when you're about to, are you about to eat? Because I knew that's what he was going to do with the whiskey. He was either going to give it to Zora to drink or drink it himself. But when he uh, did that uh, fish skin over the old wounds, I was like, All right, that's, you know, I like that. Yeah, that was a good little touch to Zeph's character. Absolutely. Um, so now we're going to jump into episode six here. And like I said, at the beginning of the pod, we're just going to roll into Sanji's backstory here first, and then we'll get into again, the present day stuff. But for Sanji's backstory, um, it appears that Sanji is just a low level chef or scrod, if you want to call it on a random ship when it is all of a sudden raided by pirates and the pirates turn out to be the, the Zeph pirates. And again, we get this 
recurring joke about oregano is for savages, which again, I thought was hilarious here. And Sanji does call Zeph a shithead here, which both these recurring jokes and themes just travel with them throughout the years. Um, but the ship, as it's getting raided, does capsize due to the weather. And then Sanji and Zeph are left stranded on this island. 85 days go by. Um, there is a supply of food that they have. Zeph gives Sanji a portion of the rations and tells him to leave him alone. Zeph does have the bigger bag, and Sanji's pissed off by this, but Zeph is the biggest person. But after those 85 days, Sanji is no longer with food. And he is desperate, knowing that Zeph still has some food left. He decides to go over to his side of the island and try and steal it from Zeph. He pierces the bag, trying to raid its contents. And to his disappointment, he finds a bunch of treasure. There is not a single lick of food in that bag. And he looks over at Zeph and says, what the hell? What have you been eating? Looks down at his leg. It is gone. Zeph has been surviving 85 days just off the meat of his own foot. And I love this backstory, man. It is so fucked up. It is so dark. This was one of the darkest moments in One Piece that we at this moment in the story. And I'm glad that they did it this way because I know in the anime, certain variations of the anime have it set up differently that Zeph's foot gets trapped in the capsizing ship. Mm -hmm. So it's not him actually consuming his foot, which is the original source of the manga. He actually eats his foot. But in the anime, sometimes it's him getting it caught in the ship. And this I just feel so like this is, the, this is so much better because it just shows what a great guy Zeph actually is, even though he was just giving Sanjay the Sanji the business and just being a dick to him for all this time. But it just still shows how great of a guy Zeph is. And I this is one of my favorite backstories, to be honest. It's just so good. Yeah. Hell yeah. You know why he always serves people food now, why he hates to see people go hungry, Zeph's sacrifice and why he has a peg leg. Um, I thought that rock with the blood on it, they did a really good job. Like you said, uh, I was a little bit nervous they weren't going to go through with it and they were going to do it like a more kid-friendly route. But the fact that they did the brutality really shows why Sanji even sticks around to this dude that treats him like shit. Yeah. And it's because, hey, Zeph, and deep down, is a really good guy. And the connection between the all blue, I've been searching for the all blue my entire life. I know my time's at an end, so I'm like passing a torch on to you. I thought that was brilliant too. I was getting teary eyed again, man, in this scene too. Like I, I really was. Like I just never thought the live action would make me feel these emotions again, and it really has been done so well. Especially like the Sanji storyline has been a one for me. I've always loved Zeph. I agree with you, Dave. This was one of my favorite backstories of any of the characters. And I love that they had a uh, pirate Zeph had like the spices strapped around yeah. his chest, <laughs> just whips out some oregano and young Sanji's actor was fantastic mm -hmm. too. So this was a very impactful uh, short backstory here. And I think it, they nailed it in the live action. I'd rather die than have you season my food. Fucking, <laughs> yeah, really? yeah, that was good quote. Man. Oregano quote. is for savage. <laughs> Literally, that's what takes him over the edge. Every single time I use oregano now, I'm gonna think oregano is for savages. Yeah. Oh my and god. I do think we've commented on it before, but I like how every character has no filter. If one of the kids wants to shout shithead or something, like they just go for it. One comment about this backstory, another A-plus casting for the kid Sanji, man. I just can't believe they keep hitting the nail on the head with all these like kid actors. It's it when you hear they put 
two years of production or however many years, nine total, seven, whatever. Like, damn, that's the the attention to detail is is so appreciated. Yeah, they do genuinely look like they're older and younger selves, like you were saying in the last podcast episode. Sure. Like it, it just looks like a time machine. It was run through him. But um, now we get back to the present here, and Nami is asking Luffy basically to find someone on the ship to help, like a doctor, anybody. This is where Zeph has this moment of kind of patching up Zoro, putting the fish skin on him. Again, just a great moment here. And they they patch up Zoro, and Sanji's cooking. Chopper is doctoring. But Sanji's cooking in the kitchen, and it's kind of just funny seeing Sanji be like, quote unquote, nice to Zoro. Like, he's like, ah, oh, like, what's Zoro's favorite food? Like, what should I make him? Because that just would never happen nowadays but it's just it's really funny seeing that just right now sanji's just the really good guy here and sanji also is explaining to luffy uh what it means through what it means to be a captain through zef and his eyes and this is where we get the sanji backstory and luffy just like all of us we're kind of shocked at um sanji's backstory but just really cool interaction between sanji and the crew members here do you think luffy knows what it feels like to be the reason why someone lost a limb. Yeah, right. <laughs> that was brilliant. I think yeah. I do know what that's like. <laughs> yeah, no, moving the, on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, Nami. This, this scene, is a great scene. Yeah. So everyone hype. kind of goes off, whatever. Zom- Nami stays back and begins reading Zoro, a story of Mont Blanc Nolan. Just oh, yeah. Something to just pencil in for all you first time watchers. Mont Blanc Nolan. Uh just, just brilliant laying the groundwork for a future payoff i just what a what a good little change to add to you know future joy i guess yeah it's essentially a story of uh this infamous liar who is lying to the king about how he found this city of gold but the city of gold is no longer in existence because it was sunk to the bottom of the sea so there's no proof that the island ever existed so mont blanc nolan kind of just goes around town telling people like yeah it exists but i can't prove it up until his execution day, where the king uh, just has had enough of his shit and decides to kill him. Luffy did not get that. The moral of the story was don't lie. Yeah. <laughs> he walks in, he's like, Oh, could you imagine? And now we kind of get into some of the, the heat of the episode. So Arlong begins his approach to the ship. And something that me and Alki were talking about pre podcast is Arlong's theme music is fucking dude. Dope. It is so good. It is so <laughs> fucking good. It's brilliant. It honestly, it sets the mood. Uh, it's great. It's like a like a mob boss theme to it. It's, it's like it's trap great. version. Yeah, it reminds cause... me of Killmonger in in the Black Panther. Like Definitely anytime he was on honest. screen, it was that trap. Like yeah, you know, like it was like it was yeah. like bumping. You like catch yourself head bobbing in this villain. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was cool. I really loved all of Arlong's scenes. I just don't know how I feel that he pulled up to the Baradier. Yeah, I'll be honest. Just... Like I just don't know how I feel about that. And I have to get used to his makeup and stuff, but I think he does look pretty good. He looks badass. He's menacing and strong. His uh, and his music is great. I just, like I said, I don't know how I feel that he pulled up to the Barati and like like Nami left with him. I so it was, yeah. So Brian. In, in the manga, Nami would have taken the Going Mary and went to Arlong Park. Went to Arlong Park. I didn't know if we wanted to name drop it. Um, so I kind of get used to she, that. <laughs> yeah, she otherwise wouldn't have given them any leads to where she went. And I think it was actually 
I think I was reading it was Johnny and uh, Yosaku. Yeah, I forget mm-hmm. his name. Uh, but Johnny and the other guy who were just like, oh, my gosh, uh, if she was kind of affiliated with that guy Arlong, because I think it it was a point in the manga that she was like fixating. They had Arlong's wanted poster or something. Yeah. They took note of that and were just like, well, she was talking about Arlong a lot. Maybe she went to Arlong Park. Mm-hmm. And that was essentially how they knew to pursue that. Exactly. They had to find it out that they that she mm-hmm. had to that she was like being manipulated by Arlong you know what I mean I, I I don't know how I feel that it was like just dropped that she was basically working undercover for him the whole time you know what I mean I don't know I I guess what I was trying to say is that's one of those things where like they cut out Johnny and Yosaku therefore they needed to have a motivation for the crew to go to pursue Nami and know to go to Arlong Park and what better way than to just have him fucking roll up present himself as an antagonist and then dip with Nami it just kind of like ties a lot of loose ends that probably would have required an extra episode I don't know like 30 minutes of screen time to explain yeah good point like I said Um, I I like the scenes I just I think now you've made me swallow that pill a little easier. But it is it is just different. Again, it's just different for us. We're used to yeah. the so what we're used to. So and mm-hmm. why some people might not like it is because it ruins moments later on. Like now they literally can't happen. Like one moment I was really looking forward to is gone. So because yeah. Arlong came to the Barassier. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know what that being said, whatever. I thought I think his actor's great. I mean, how one of our biggest concerns, how the hell are you gonna make Arlong live action? Um, and you know, I'm not going to say he's great, but he's doing a really, really good job. Um, you know what? He might be great. I'm not going to say he's perfect, (laughs) but he's doing a great job and I really like him. This is when you get the fish man versus humans aspect of this world. Uh, they are different races and there's obviously been a lot of history going on, um, behind them. You don't get a whole lot of it, but like even the hostess when he says like hey how can i serve you and arlong's like serve what an interesting choice of words and stuff like that you know you're getting a little bit of that background but you also get how arlong's strong as fuck he's saying fishmen are better than humans in every way we're stronger faster like you guys suck why are you guys like in charge yeah yeah people fan casted arlong as uh Gannicus. As the actor for, that played Gannicus wow. and Spartacus. That's Isn't that awesome. funny? I think <laughs> some crazy. of you guys would appreciate that. So I just wanted nice. to mention. Hell yeah. But yeah, I personally really liked Arlong. I think at first when I saw his makeup design in like the trailers or whatever, I was a little bit like a, not crazy. But again, this this is one of those like very cartoony characters that it's like, how are they going to translate it to live action? I think they did the best that they could with Arlong. I still... I'm getting used to it, but I think at the end of the day, I really like how they're incorporating it. The nose looks really good. Um, can't wait to see his performances in the next two episodes because I feel like we're really going to see what he's like. His acting skills come to life in the next episode, next couple episodes, if that's where we go. Is go this ahead, where we get how they knew where they were and because of what was in their bag that they brought? Yeah, so Arlong... Uh, explains his hatred for humans to the entire restaurant looking for Luffy who has the map just really quickly something I want to bring up before we get to that point is just that um, Sanji obviously hears that the Arlong pirates are raiding the Bar- uh, Baradier and he wants to go help out and Luffy also is quick to want to help him out and that strikes a node with Sanji he looks over and he's like why do you want to help and he's like 
you guys served us food. Why wouldn't I want to help? And that just really hits home for Sanji. So we see a little bit of that relationship developing. But yes, Paul, back to Arlong. He, um, Luffy makes his appearance and he's like, how did you find me? And we get the reveal that Buggy's head has been with Arlong this entire time. So he's just been stuffed in a bag and he tells um, Luffy that that's how he found him. And I, honestly, it was great seeing Buggy. I don't know if was this a question we had asked on like one of the podcast recordings, where it's like, do we think Buggy's going to make a re- reappearance? Yeah, actually, we did. And, uh, and um, I'm glad and, we and, saw it. I don't hate it. Like I like he, Buggy's he crushed character it, man. I thought he was he was really funny no. here, just so confident. He's great, and I don't even hate the idea that his head is separated from his body, but mm-hmm. I hate the fact that his ear was in Luffy's straw hat the whole goddamn time. Was that, and manga re- was that also, I feel like that was, that happened in the manga. I feel really? like that happens. I, I, it's been so long. I really can't remember, but I, I'm kind of with you. Um, like it did feel weird live action. I guess that's not going to work because like he literally had a scene the beginning of last episode of episode five where he's picking the debris out of his hat. Like he's literally going around paying detailed attention to it. It, and there's only one little band of red like it's a uh, ear is going to stick out so i don't know i just i really just bothered me that that's how it went around but i don't know why that might just be you know it was a long day at work when i came home <laughs> yeah, and watched it I was just that busy. pissed me off now yeah i mean you're no. right like i think i didn't think about it like you were saying that luffy does spend a lot of time looking at his hat in these past couple episodes like really saying like i think tanami at some point like oh the, my hat's been taking some damage and he's even like plucking out some of the straws like and he doesn't notice that a little weird so, i'm not gonna look too much into it but yeah yeah i don't know maybe if, if that's what i'm concerned about i'm saying it's not realistic and out of everything that we're watching that's that's a little thing so not a big deal but so, I, like you guys were saying and i was listening to a lot of your episode one and two coverage bucky's actor is great i love him he's still one of my yeah. favorite highlights of this season absolutely so far but of course luffy wants to pick a fight with arlong but zeph quickly interrupts by firing a bullet at arlong which does absolutely nothing again just kind of emphasizing that not even regular guns can affect a fishman they're just so durable and strong also zeph when he first offered arlong a meal for free anything off the menu for free after he questioned arlong questions Zeph about luffy and Zeph is like, ah, Luffy, straw hat. Mm, no, that doesn't ring a bell. Beast. I mean, Zeph's, Zeph's just like a fucking OG. Like, he's great. Again, it just goes into Luffy. Luffy just rubs off on people. And like these quick interactions that people have with him are enough for them to know that Luffy is just the man. He deserves yeah. everything and all the protection. Big Zeph takes out Zeph's leg. Sanji yeah. does not stand for that. Yes. Dude, this is the, the fight scene of the episode, man. I. I can't emphasize enough that I feel like this Sanji's fighting has been honestly might have have even Trump Zoro's fighting so far. I just think Sanji's has been so fluid and looks so incredible. I, I, I can't wait for them to both just be in action at the same time, just kicking fucking ass. Cause this is such a tease. Cause it's a little bit of a fight. Uh, and it's important to mention too, I guess um, that Arlong has two henchmen by his side. One we've already been introduced to in Kurobi. Um, and the other one hasn't gotten his name dropped yet, but it is Chu, C-H-O-O, I believe. I, I Honestly, I'm just kind of remembering that off the top of my head. I think that's his name. Um, but Lips. You can, yeah, he's got Call the lips. lips. Yeah, they called him Lips, too. 
Did they? I might, I might have Burpee missed that. Burpee did, yeah. <laughs> Burpee. <laughs> Burpee did. That's so funny. I love that trope is great too. Every time Bucky comes out, Luffy calls him by the wrong name, not on purpose because he genuinely just doesn't know. It's brilliant. Yeah. But I just, these fight scenes have been really doing it for me, man. I mentioned it in episode one, I think it was, that we've been kind of spoiled with like the Witcher and Wheel of Time choreographed yeah. fights and how incredible they have been. But even with all that gold content, like I still am finding so much satisfaction in these fight scenes here. Um, yeah, there's it just looks so good. There's a lot to be desired if you're comparing it to like the high speed craziness of anime and stuff like that. But I, the biggest thing that I was worried about was like, how are they going to make Luffy and his stretching ability and his fights like look good? And I, I do think they look good. Um, you know, maybe it's not as much as he usually would do or I was expecting, but it's still it looks pretty fresh. And so Luffy's getting his ass beat here. Sanji also takes an L as well. And um, we do quickly see Nami kind of opening up to Zoro while he's passed out, just admitting that she's never had any friends because she's never let herself have any. And she decides to leave with the map. And as Luffy's continuously still getting his butt kicked, he does get some licks in. I will give Luffy some credit. He does actually get a, there is a turning point in the fight that Luffy does get some good licks in and it, it, it was satisfying to see. Um, but she interrupts the fight between them, telling Arlong to stop and revealing that she has been working with Arlong the whole time. That's who she's been communicating with over with uh, the Denden Mushi. Instead of having Arlong just eat Luffy straight up. She thinks it's a better, more fitting death that Arlong just throw him into the ocean since he's a devil fruit user and have the sea finish him off for Arlong, which I feel like to me that's just her showing her soft side for Luffy as yeah, much as trying she, to Yeah, she just doesn't want him to actually die. She probably has a feeling something will save him and but Arlong does decide to throw him into the water. No, you know what it was? It was one to give Luffy a chance to survive just so Arlong, you know, doesn't kill him straight up. And two, so she could see Zan Sanji with his shirt uh, shirt off because yeah. holy shit, dude. Two things I want to note. Uh, number one, Arlong splashes Luffy and that's when he was just able to walk up, grab him and go in for the kill bite. Are we like is that how it works? If you get splashed and like saturated in seawater? Yeah. I think that Even was more I, of a fish man using water as a weapon, honestly. But, but yes, well, I think if you like, if you were well, to just get like a, like a solo cup of seawater and splashed on Luffy, like I think Luffy would be incapacitated for like, I would say a few would, seconds, if not a few minutes, but it wouldn't like a few seconds. No. It would do it would do something though that yes, would register yes. to Luffy and like a little bit okay I yeah. I can live with that the other thing is when he was dunked in the water officially there was definitely still like a ten seconds of him being able to flail around yeah. before he then just stopped and had to be saved by Sanji so that's... that was something that Luke had brought up and certainly something I noticed here as well mm -hmm. that I Luke noticed he, it because he brought it up yeah and that he shouldn't be able to do that he should have and, just immediately started yeah but drown. how are you gonna it, how are you gonna show like it's how it's are you gonna show life. somebody staying still yeah you, you how, how are you gonna just <laughs> jump somebody in the water and they're just like yeah they just Aboard. freeze yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like it's no, you're right you're absolutely right there has to be a struggle yeah That's naturally true. i think um, somebody will flail you know it, it they showed that him flailing did absolutely nothing that's true. So long as they're establishing it, 
the way that they are, so long as they're consistent, I don't have any quarrels with that. But who else other than Sanji is the one to save uh, save our boy Luffy? And um, just a great moment here. Um, Everyone's kind of the crew comes together here. We get Zoro waking up. He's officially bought in. He's officially a part of the crew here. He announces his, he swears his loyalty to Luffy until they find the one piece and until the end of the time. Just so awesome. And then it's time to get Nami back. Sanji also joins up with the crew and the third time's the charm with the crying. They got me on this one, guys. The tears were definitely flowing a little bit. Sanji's goodbye to the Baradier was gut wrenching for me. And this is where I was like, I am so in for Sanji's actor. Like I was crying. I'm like, he is delivering this so well. It's not the owner's arigato. It's not, it was a different variation on that, but holy shit, man, this one was just as good and really did a number on me personally. Letting me work in your shitty old restaurant all these years. I owe my life to you, old man. I I completely agree. It was more wordy, but it, he delivered it well and yeah it got me in the feels agreed no it was great except for when zeph screamed out i'm pretty sure he said sanji he goes sanji sanji like, did he say sanji i i, I might have been too <laughs> into the scene to even think yeah. about what he was saying but we'll that slide that <laughs> last line i mean sanji's actor just so good you guys have said it i've been saying it this whole episode just his delivery was not anything near what I was expecting. And I owe you my lifeline was brilliant. It just hits me every fucking time. And like Zeph's crying and then he throws up the goodbye and I'm just a mess just sitting here at work. Like I can't be crying right now. I have to work. (laughs) (laughs) It was just beautiful. And then um, how are they going to find Nami? You ask? Well, Luffy was somehow lucky enough to, to steal Buggy's head from Arlong, and now they have Buggy joining the crew for the time being to help them locate where Nami is headed, and that is going to be it. That must suck, just like not. Oh, it's funny, that. yeah. It's <laughs> funny when they're stuffing him in the bag, and he's like, "Don't." It's dark, lonely, and sandy in there, and it's just him getting <laughs> muffled out. So funny. Uh, question: How did Buggy live? Arlong and his boys swim to the Barat. I was saying the same thing. Like in the bag, he should have been dead. He should have been drowned. Paul, you're nitpicking at this point, but I was honestly, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, that's just not even a nitpick. That's just straight up like plot hole. Like you can't. Maybe it was just like long enough of a swim that it was like just torture for Buggy. He's just drowning the whole time. Nope. I'll tell you what, it's a plot hole, but I'm okay (laughs) with it because they had to swim there somehow. Yeah, it's just something we're going to totally overlook and not even mention because the show is still so. Okay, sorry. (laughs) You're good, but don't mind me. I'm just sweeping stuff under the rug here, Paul, sweeping (laughs) stuff under the rug so we can enjoy this show. All righty, but that's going to be it. We can now we'll do a quick 10 minute spoiler heavy discussion here for um, anyone who reads the manga or watches the anime um so anyone who is only live action just we're giving you five four three two one and goodbye so now i don't even know if you guys have any notes about spoiler stuff i just want to see if there was any conversations of like things to come that you want to talk about in regards to spoilers um i honestly don't last episode i had a few spoiler things that i want to talk about but this one not really is there anything that you guys specifically want to talk about that has like that includes heavy spoilers? 
in references to what I was saying earlier this episode about, you know, they make decisions early on that will affect scenes later. The one I was thinking about, they kind of did it this episode. Luffy hits down the door to the Baratier and he's like, which one of you are along? That line hits unbelievably harder. At Arlong up. Park. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you don't the have March to say coming to up anymore. We're, in the, we're officially, you can let it rip, Paul. True. So that was what I was talking about. Um, also, Garp's character just seems incredibly different. And like the way he's acting and talking about like you don't actually have to follow the rules if you're a Marine. I'm like that. Does that really like even go into his character and what he's saying? I feel like he sits there and, you know, Ace ne- next to Ace and doesn't do anything because he's a Marine and that's what he has to do. So I don't know. I just don't like what they're doing with Garb's character. I literally have in my notes Garb's storyline is garbage. Helmepo, like I said, brilliant. I will. I love Helmepo. So I'm, I'm kind of like these two episodes. I definitely felt that a little bit more than the previous four. So I had actually been like very high on on Garb. I still think his performance is phenomenal, and he's just doing the best that he can with what he's been given. Again, this is all stuff that Oda didn't even want to include in the show, but I'm kind of with you. These two episodes really made me feel like Garp is a little bit different than how I feel like he is in the manga. And I'm not willing to say, you know, it's completely like a wash yet. Like his his character isn't ruined to me yet, but he feels, yeah, like a little like stricter. He feels a little more like... I don't know how to describe it because you're right. He's like supposed to be by the books, but at the same time, he's not. I don't know. It's an art, bro. Yeah. These two episodes, it did feel a little bit more so than normal that this is like different than what we're used to. So I was trying to get to earlier. I mean, I can't you can't really get into detail when you're speaking of the show without getting into spoilers. It's just this is in Garp. They're not capturing Garp, I don't think, fully. And like, if you want to show that. Kobe had a freaking glow up. He can't be in the episode every yeah. single every single time. And we like, might I just feel this way because of the lack of involvement that Garp has, like in the actual manga. Like, I don't we know. I, we know Garp's character through like flashes and just random points in the story. But like now that we're getting him every episode and every you know quote unquote chapter, it's just not something. It just feels weird. All I right, so let that, me give yeah. this, put this into context. I just looked it up. Arlong gets shown in like chapter 60 or 61 or something for the right. first time. And that's like when Nami leaves and uh, what's his name? The two bounty hunters are like, and you. yeah. Johnny. And that's when they like flash to him. They show his silhouette yeah. or something. Garp wasn't shown till like 92. Oh, yeah. It's like after like it's a pretty sure it's so after. We didn't even arc. know who Garp is at this yeah. point. You know, in this story, that's not like atrociously far, but I agree. It's like it kind of that was a big moment when that hits and it hit uh, like them revealing that Luffy is Garp's grandson right now. It doesn't hit nearly as hard as it would. So I don't know. I agree. We can sit here and talk about Garp for a while and complain um, about like what it does. I kind of just have to do what you guys do and just kind of accept it for what they're trying to do. Try to lean into it. Um, the only other thing that I really didn't like, and we kind of talked about it, they had restraints, they can't include everything, was the Don Krieg fight. I feel like with uh, Luffy's fights in the show, we haven't really seen him 
be resilient. Like with Kiro, you kind of saw him like he was smart. He's able to not just go off of strength. He's, he's, you know, tactically smart as well. Uh, with Don Krieg, I feel like that's when you really see this guy go all out, not give up and inspire people around him by punching through the quills. That was one scene that I was really looking forward to. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this really helps Sanji get inspired that he's doing this all for, you know, this restaurant that fed them. So I know they can't include everything, but I was really upset that they didn't include Don Creek just for that reason. I agree with you, Paul. Um, and I think that's compounded by the fact that they take away this awesome fight for Luffy that's supposed to be there during this arc and they replace it with him getting his ass handed to him by Arlong. So it's not only like you take away a positive, you add a negative for Luffy. So like, I I agree. We're not kind of getting that linear scale of him just like all rise that we're supposed to. But hey, if they if they rebound in the next two episodes and make the Arlong fight as good as it's supposed to be, then, you know, it's it's probably OK that they omitted the Don Krieg. But I I was going to say, I'm pretty sure the next two episodes are honestly like two of the higher rated. Don't quote me on that, uh, but I'm pretty sure I they're two that. of the higher rated ones. I loved um, in the anime when he like punched on Creek through the needles, like on his helmet or whatever it was. Yeah, that's what Paul was saying. Like he's cloaked. He basically wraps himself in a oh, quill yeah. blanket and Luffy punches it. And like, yeah, you're right, Paul. Like that is the first time we see that Luffy is willing to like hurt himself to like endless degrees to like help not only himself out, but like other people out as well. And here it's like, he just takes like a, a basic ass beating, but also Sanji fighting Gin and Jin. That was really good showing was on Sanji's character as well. But alas, like I said, I will hold all the judgments until the end of season one. Cause like you're saying, I really think, and I'm really hoping that this finale fight will blow it out of the water. I'm very interested <laughs> to see on intended. <laughs> I'm very interested to see how Arlong wields his uh sawtooth sword. I think that'll be uh that'll help emphasize like how much I've been talking up the choreography of the fights and how like seamless everything is looked. So I want to I'm definitely interested in seeing that. Uh what is the move called? Is it Gum Gum Axe that finishes Arlong? That's the one that's the big one that I'm looking forward to as well when he's he takes the fucking hit from Arlong and just fucking smashes through all of Arlong Park. Like I, I hope that they do that. That is another like I'm gonna use the I word. Iconic. Luke, so yeah, you're not here, Luke. That is like an iconic moment when he just fucking smashes it. And it's just Luffy standing out of the rubble, and everyone's just looking at him like, yeah, that's our fucking captain right there. So I'm excited. I'm really excited for these next two. These two were a 9-0 and an 8-7. The next two are an 8-9 and a 9-2 on IMDb. So these are all really highly rated. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, they're not bad. So I'm Legitimately, every 9 out of 10 One Piece fans being like 100. And then there's that one hater that's like, fuck this show. One one star. And so it's just culminating to these 90% reviews. I've been saying this in all the podcasts. Like, it's a good show. Like, it, they are doing a great job, especially how hard it is to do live action. You know, I'm just surprised. Like, the only way to describe it is it's surprising to see the totally, like, really sky through the roof ratings. You know, that's all. It still feels like I know we've been saying this a lot. Like, One Piece is goofy, but it does feel like 
it does match that goofiness and i i feel like i'm just surprised that a lot more people just aren't turned off by that goofiness like yeah. i know personally yeah. so on the podcast like kathleen is texting us saying that she's watching one piece right now the live action and she's like oh my god like i love how goofy and funny it is and it's like that for her i feel like it fits her like watching oh that's surprising of yeah, it is honestly a little bit surprising, yeah. but she seems to be enjoying it. But like, she loves the goofiness of it. I feel like for someone, not to say that Kathleen isn't like a serious show watcher, but like someone who only watches maybe like serious shows would be turned off by still mm-hmm. how much it's goofy. Not yeah, the intensity. I think that after this season, I will definitely be looking for them to crank up the intensity a little bit. The this like the suspense, and you know, you can still have suspense and and maybe that like crack of. Usopp, like you know, literally chittering and and fear will like hit a little better, you know. Yeah. Not to say that he isn't doing a great job, but yeah, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else to say? Like, yes, I do. I have a tweet. I just found it. Best non-straw hat actors in the One Piece live action. It's um, Zef, Kuro, Buggy, and Helmeppo. Everybody's loving Helmeppo. I think yeah. that's pretty funny. He, he he really has like stood out to me like even though we've been talking a lot of shit on like the garp storyline like he has at least been like very true to his like dickish douchey character i feel like and like when he at least is like talking in part of these events that we're not used to seeing him a part of he's still that guy that we 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 love to hate on yeah it's uh, it's it's he's the dark horse like he's the person i least expected to make an impact on the show and a lot of people think he's doing a like there's it's just an interesting character i'm surprised by it with the kobe and garp storyline being fleshed out we're getting a lot more of hell meppo than Good we point. were expecting to so yeah. it at least they got the casting right for him sure definitely all right final words anybody all right, I'll take silence as no final words. <laughs> that- fuck yeah for these last uh, four episodes, I guess. Last two. Yeah, true. Oh, only shit, two, two more. Yeah, yeah, only seven, eight. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> I, I really <laughs> Gotta do. Gotta recalibrate. I'm, I am very excited for season two, to be honest. I don't think it can come soon enough. Um, but that's going to be it for our coverage of Netflix's One Piece live action episodes five and six. As usual, if you like what you heard, subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you're listening to us on. We're always dropping new content. Right now, we're covering Wheel of Time and Jujutsu Kaisen. Um, if you're looking for more anime contact, be sure to check that out. Follow us at Bingetown TV on all socials, x.com, Instagram, you name it. Be sure to check out our Discord as well. It's building a lot of steam and we're building a really great community. So definitely want to check that out and become a part of that. We'll have a link for that in the description of this episode. But once again, we are Bingetown TV and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 